Have you ever heard the parable about the country mouse and the city mouse? It's a story that they tell kids a lot, kind of one of those, the grass is not always greener on the other side kind of stories. But when you were listening to that story, did you ever think, gosh, I wish there was a scientist out there who could collect and quantify data in order to prove this? No? Well, okay. Either way, you might still be happy to find out that there is. My name is Louis Colavertolo, and I am a University of Guelph student in the food science department trying my best to get a PhD. And when I'm procrastinating from doing so, I like to talk to other graduate students in programs currently or recently who have a whole bunch of information that they want to share about what they're learning. And this week, we're going to talk to the Squirrel Lady of Guelph. Has she given herself this nickname? Maybe, but she definitely deserves it. Alana Grant studies stress in squirrels. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll repeat it. Stress in squirrels. Now, as a human, we experience a lot of stress from working that 9 to 5, and I guess maybe that's why they call it the rat race. But squirrels definitely experience stress too. And Alana tries to determine what's the difference in the stress levels of mice from the city and from the country. So she studies those Guelph squirrels that are notoriously crafty at uh, getting food from various different places, and compares them to that of country squirrels that are found on nature preserves. Why squirrels? Well, Alana Grant is going to tell you why not squirrels. So listen up, because Alana has a lot to say about those notorious city squirrels, how to spot them, and what to do when you see them snacking. And while you're listening, remember that we are graduate students in our fields, and we're just doing our best to learn. So we don't know everything, which is why you are listening to an episode of We Know Some Stuff. Hi, Alana. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I am doing all right over here. Could you do us a favor and walk us through your educational history? Yep. Um, so I did my bachelor's degree in honor zoology at the University of Guelph. Um, and now I'm currently doing my um, MSc, my master's degree um, in integrative biology, also at Guelph, um, under Dr. Amy Newman. Oh, very interesting. Zoology. I just, I, I don't know if I've ever met someone who's like actually got a degree in zoology before. Yeah. Um, Guelph is one of the only schools that offer like specifically zoology as a degree. Um, and a lot of people use it as a pre-vet or kind of like preemptively going into the research sector, but it's a lot of um, animal anatomy and ecology. So it was a cool undergrad, um, definitely content heavy on the, the pre-vet side, but otherwise I, I enjoyed it. Guelph is a cool school, so it was fun. Understandably so that it would be like sort of geared to that's pre-vet. So then, okay, question right off the bat, what's the most exotic animal you've gotten like up and close personal with? So Guelph has a really, it's not, I, I guess it wasn't up close and personal with a live animal, but Guelph has a lot of really cool um, preserved specimens. Um, and mm, So alive and dead. It, yeah, like, it looks alive. Like okay. The taxidermy is quite good. But mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I would have to say probably the most exotic was a sloth. Um, we have like a, a stuffed mm. sloth in one of the mammalogy labs and that was probably the most exotic. Um, one of the labs that I used to volunteer for had um, an antelope skull just sitting in the office. Um, so I got to touch that, which is really yeah. cool. <laughs> 
All right, all right. So, so, so back to it. You're you you got a, a bachelor's in zoology, and now you're doing a master's, which you're still dealing with animals, but it's not specifically zoology. Could you just give us the the briefs of what you're doing right now? Yeah. So right now, I'm part of a long term project that the the Newman Lab has been working on, um, and what we're looking at is how changing landscapes through kind of human activity. Um, impact wildlife. So we have a study going on with savanna sparrows and agricultural areas. Um, but then what my research focuses on is how urban areas impact gray squirrels. Um, so gray squirrels are all over the place. Um, and just clarification, gray squirrels is the species name. So they're called Eastern gray squirrels. That includes both the black and the gray squirrels. But the species we usually just call gray squirrels. Um, so what I'm looking at is how urban areas specifically impact them. Um, since they're popular in urban and natural areas, they are a great species to look at that kind of comparison to see um, are the urban ones developing differently from the natural ones um, and how humans are impacting them. So uh, squirrels, first of all, they are rodents, correct? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and I, I have lived in a number of different places, and I have met some very smart rodents. Uh, rodents that I'd be willing to say are probably smarter than me. Um, and a lot of times it's in the cities that I've lived in. So I, uh, right off the bat, I know that like I don't mess with a mouse that I find in a city. Like a mouse I found in the country, it's like, okay, yeah, you're no big deal. But a mouse in the city, that that thing has like an IQ of 120. Yeah, the um, the urban squirrels, um, they learn quite fast. Um, so quite a few of them have learned how to outsmart my traps. Um, so we have these humane traps where it's just kind of like a pressure pedal. And once they step on that little pedal, um, the trap closes behind them and I can do my work with them. But there are a few that have realized that if they reach around the pedal to get to the the peanuts that I leave at the back of the trap, they can get out of the trap. Um, and the natural squirrels haven't figured this out, but the urban squirrels have. Um, so we have one individual on campus. His name is Martin. <laughs> he's quite popular. Oh no, he he he's a squirrel. He is a squirrel named Martin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He, um, he is the first squirrel to have officially outsmarted the scientists. He has tags on his ears from about four years ago because that's how long it's been since he's gotten himself caught in a trap. But I always see him eating my peanuts. Um, but he he's quite smart. So, yeah, I would say the, the city ones give me a bit of a run for my money. They are they are smart. So, so Martin the squirrel Martin. has been like, a, I, I love this. This is my favorite thing ever. Uh, so Martin the squirrel has evaded your traps for all these years. Is there, is there any uh, lore or like why, why is his name Martin? Um, so the undergrads actually named him Martin. Um, there is an Instagram account dedicated and it's not run by me. <laughs> it's just Guelph and our, our love of squirrels. Um, there is an account for one of the squirrels on campus. His name is McDonald the Squirrel. Again, the undergrads named him. Um, if you see him, he's quite easy to see. He's got a short tail, and the end of his tail is all white fur. Um, and he's a he's a black squirrel with white fur on his tail, so he's really easy to spot. Um, the undergrads have made him an Instagram account, and Martin has been featured on it. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so Martin is a special guest yes, on, he is the on special McDonald's. Guest. But he um so he has tags that are really old that we we just want to take them off of him. We don't want to do anything else with Martin, but he has mm -hmm. outsmarted our traps 
So he can get the peanuts, he doesn't get caught, and he has really old tags in because I haven't had the chance to change them. Oh, wow. So he's he's a veteran. He knows what oh, he's yeah. doing. <laughs> so then you, you, to some degree, study the behavior of the urban squirrel. Uh, how? What? Why? I have a million questions. <laughs> okay. Um, so my project isn't specifically based around their behavior, but of course you spend all day outside looking at squirrels, tracking squirrels, um, trying to figure out what areas they're hanging out in. Um, so you you really do get to learn a lot of the behavior kind of by accident. Um, we had a master's student before me actually study their behavior to see if the urban squirrels were more um, more brave, per se, um, than the natural squirrels. Like, are they more daring? Are they more bold? Will they approach something new faster than the natural squirrels? Um, and I think our results did find that they were they were more bold than um, the natural squirrels. But yeah, when I'm out there, I, I, I see a lot of their behavior. I do quite a bit of naturalist work. Um, so I kind of record down what I'm seeing, what's going on, where I was, just so I can keep track of it. Um, and also keep track of what the squirrels are doing. So when I do need to go out and trap them, I it's quite easy because I know where they are, what they like, um, kind of what time they're, they're most active. Um, so in respect to that, I, I use behavior to my advantage, yeah. <laughs> So, so you don't necessarily study their behavior, then what are you really doing? So I am studying their stress levels. So what we're looking at is, are urban areas a source of stress for gray squirrels? Um, and we're doing that by reading their hormone levels. Uh, we're taking hormone readings in their blood, in their fecal, and then as well as hair samples. Um, and we're measuring for the hormone cortisol um, so that one is a stress-related hormone. We don't really call it, it's not officially a stress hormone, but it's it's stress-related. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm doing a comparison between our urban and our natural squirrels. Um, the University of Guelph campus is my urban site, so you can find me on Johnston Green or in the Arboretum. Um, and then my natural site is rare. It's a research reserve in Cambridge. Um, so what we're doing is we're going out, we're trapping squirrels, and we're taking blood samples to see if there is a difference in their stress levels. Um, and then I'm also looking at maternal effects. So essentially maternal effects are how a mother's physiology impacts her offspring physiology. Um, if you look at some of the literature, what they're finding is that mothers are trying to prepare their offspring for the environment that they're going to be put in. So if you have a mother who's living in a high stress environment, she's gonna wanna prepare her offspring for that environment as well. Um, so I'm also taking samples from pups um, and we're looking at, is a stressed mother producing a stressed pup? Um, and are the urban moms more stressed than the natural moms? How would a mother prepare a child to be in a specific environment? Like, what can they do that would be different? Yeah, so it's not necessarily like teaching behaviors. This is actually even before the pups are born. Um, and it's all mm. done through hormone signaling. Um, so if you have a mom with high... Uh, cortisol levels that actually gets transmitted to her pup um, and it's it's quite complicated to the point where I don't even fully understand it myself um, but you'll have pups with certain physiological traits that are better suited for that environment so for urban individuals it might actually be more advantage ad advantageous sorry um, for them to be high stress if they're high alert um, it increases their ability of survival. 
So with the mothers, you kind of get a jump start on this by you produce those hormones yourself, your pup is exposed to it um, while they're still in the womb, and then they come out ready, ready and rearing to go. <laughs> That's just kind of my abridged version of maternal effects, but it's it's not all necessarily after birth. There's stuff before the birthing that goes on internally that can prepare them for the environment. Yeah, so this is really putting the nature into the nature versus nurture Absolutely, kind of situation. Yeah. <laughs> right? And and they are squirrels, so it's definitely nature <laughs> to say the least. Uh, okay, so you look at the difference between stress levels of uh, the squirrels that are in this more populated area, the urban areas, where there's definitely a lot more infrastructure and a lot more probably humans. And then you look at the squirrels that are in the more rural in the reserve in Cambridge. Uh, what are the main differences? So from previous research, we are finding that the urban squirrels respond a little bit better to stress um, than the natural squirrels. So what we're thinking is that they're more um, adapted to just high stress situations. So when they are exposed to stress, it's like just another day in the park for them. Um, whereas the natural squirrels that don't have exposure to a lot of stressors, um, not a lot of sound, not a lot of human activity, um, I think for the most part, more of their stress is produced by predator interactions. So when those natural squirrels are exposed to um, stressful situations, we're seeing that their stress levels spike um, a, like a bit a bit more so than the, than the urban squirrels. So this, this spike in stress, does that then, uh, I don't know, maybe like uh, affect how they respond to the stress? Absolutely. So um, we're using um, the stress hormones that we're, we're measuring. So cortisol um, and just general glucocorticoids is another kind of stress indicating uh, group of hormones that we use. Um, so glucocorticoids, once they are in an individual system, um, they actually cue different physical responses. Um, so increased heart rate. Um, if you're a person, you might sweat if you have increased glucocorticoids. Um, and just it really initiates that flight or fight um, response when you have that spike in stress. Um, so physiologically, there might be differences. So an increased heart rate. Um, I'm trying to think of things that happen to squirrels. I'm so sorry. Yeah, do, do squirrels sweat? I mean, honestly, that's all I was thinking. Do squirrels sweat? No. 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 They don't. But, um, do they, like, bite their nails? Do they? But uh, the hormones actually initiate physical responses that the squirrels do and behavioral responses. So whether they're going to run away, if they're going to do, like, a certain vocalization, a call, um, those hormones are what initiate that, but that's not what my lab is looking at. We're just looking at the the levels alone, but it would be really cool if someone could, you know, hook up a, a squirrel to a little <laughs> ECG machine and see like, is the heart rate increasing at a different rate? All right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that would be very interesting. We could learn a <laughs> lot about squirrel behavior that way, which is, seems like such a strange thing to do. All right. So, uh, you, you look and you, saw there's this difference between the rural and the urban squirrel. Uh, what kind of things really uh, uh, cause that difference to be? Would, do you know if it's a, a factor of like uh, the interaction with humans, the decreased interaction with like specific prey? Because I imagine there's not a lot of hawks in Guelph, but there's probably a lot more hawks in like uh, Cambridge. Yeah, so up until this point, my lab has only kind of looked at the 
like we've looked at it. So we, we, we specialize in a, a type of science called ecophysiology, where it's a, a mix between ecology and physiology. Um, and so far this project, we've looked at a lot of the physiological aspects. Um, so looking at those stress levels in the blood, uh, we've also looked at kind of like the rates of diseases, anything like that. Um, but with this project, we've added kind of another factor where we're looking at the natural and non-natural aspects of each habitat to produce um, kind of like a habitat profile. So we're looking at different things that the urban areas have that the natural areas might not have that later we're going to run through a bunch of different statistical analyses to see what factors specifically might be impacting their stress. So we kind of know the what, we know they're stressed, but we don't know the why per se. You can, you can say, oh, urban areas, but what specifically about urban areas is causing it? So with my project, what we're looking at is distance from roads. Um, we're also looking at the number of different kind of food sources that the urban squirrels have that the natural squirrels might not have, um, as well as uh, photo period, um, canopy coverage, so how many trees are in the area, how much coverage are the squirrels getting, um, as well as the canopy coverage of specifically where they're nesting. Um, so with all this information, we're hoping to build a profile for each habitat. So if we are seeing those physiological differences, we're kind of able to pinpoint what's causing it, what might alleviate human interactions on squirrels. Um, and so far, it's looking quite interesting. I'm working on the canopy stuff right now. Um, I've gone out and I've taken recordings of anthropogenic sound. So every time I go out and I trap squirrels, I bring a decibel reader with me. Um, and I just take readings every hour of the maximum and the minimum sound level. And just looking at the raw numbers alone, the amount of sound on Johnston Green specifically is like outrageously larger than they would be in the natural areas where you could you could hear a twig break anywhere. Oh, wow. So yeah, and, and those sounds are coming from the cars that are going down Gordon and you got like uh, the people that are walking by, all of that interaction. A lot of dogs. There's probably not too many dogs in the Cambridge area. <laughs> so that so that's so interesting. And and I can only assume that there are so many factors that you have to consider. So you kind of have to cherry pick a few. Yeah. So let's 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 uh, quickly you know flush out this idea of the canopies, right? So so kind of coverage. Now, if I'm in this urban area, if I'm in Guelph, can I consider a canopy like a building hangover? Or does it specifically have to be like trees? So right now we're kind of looking at the green spaces within our urban areas. Um, and what we're hoping to do is not only pinpoint what aspects um, of a natural area that we can bring into an urban area that might alleviate the stress or even developmental things that we're seeing with the squirrels, um, but we also want to emphasize the necessity of green spaces within cities. Um, I'm sure we all know squirrels are quite capable of building nests in houses. Yeah. <laughs> if you've ever had them in your attic or in your chimney, it can be quite a problem. Um, so for sure, there's different, um, like canopy could be registered as something urban. Um, but we're, we're looking at um, how we can make more green spaces within cities. Um, and also, if we have more green spaces and if we can really pinpoint the amount of canopy coverage that they need, um, we might be able to, you know, reinforce some policies um, with urban development and conservation policies within cities. So one, not only are the squirrels happy, but two, they are staying out of your attic, even if your attic has the 
perfect amount of canopy coverage for them. Wow. So we're giving them kind of an alternative to where we don't want them to be by creating green spaces. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Johnston Green is actually a, a great green space within an urban area, um, but it is more urban immersed. Awesome, unique space because it is a green space right within an urban area. Um, and it kind of creates a gradient of just um, urban intensity where we have Johnston Green where you don't have a lot. Um, you have a lot of lawn space uh, and you have those patches of trees, but those patches of trees are quite close um, to the road. Whereas the Arboretum, you kind of get a mix of different habitat types. You get a mix of different distances from roads. Um, so it really is an awesome place to do this research because I'm able to do kind of a gradient of most urban, medium urban, and kind of the least urban one. I, if you have been listening to this episode and, and, and even me, you know, talking with you right now, I have waited so long. I've waited almost 20 minutes to ask you, why, why, Alana, like, what, why, why are we doing this for squirrels? Aren't there, like, other things you could be doing right now? <laughs> so, <clears throat> kind of in the question of, like, why squirrels, I'd like to ask why not, but no. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> they are an awesome model species to use for our urban versus non-urban study because they are they are so wildly successful in these urban areas while still thriving in the natural areas um for quite a few animals once urbanization really gets going and hits we see that their habitat range shifts so a lot of animals will avoid urban areas once they start whereas the gray squirrels are all about it they are loving it um, so what this long-term study is doing is not only are we looking at kind of what is happening to these animals that are living in urban areas, we want to know what makes them so successful. What what about them um, is allowing them to really like absolutely dominate um, these areas? So our lab is looking at gray squirrels, but there are other labs. Um, I believe there's one in Sudbury looking at raccoons. Um, so raccoons are another kind of city slicker that has been doing amazingly well um, while still also thriving in the natural habitats. So what we want to know is what what's going on? Why are they so good at both? Um, and are there any trade-offs happening in their development because of this? So are they any different from the natural squirrels or are squirrels just all around robust? Yeah, squirrels are, they're real scrappers. They, they really are. And, and raccoons, too. I had a raccoon in my garbage uh, last year around Halloween. And honestly, I just let him do his thing because I was too afraid to do anything about it. So he just lived there for like three or four days. Whatever. I think it was it was sort of like an Airbnb kind of situation. <laughs> um, so, any, so, so squirrels, they're scrappers. Um, and I, I, you hear this phrase all the time, like, oh my gosh, the squirrels at X university are crazy. <laughs> but now that I hear it, now that I hear what you're saying, it's because these are city squirrels. They have adapted to behave around being in a university and they are better at stressful situations. Yes. Yeah, they, they can navigate them. You know, practice makes perfect. And what better way to be exposed to an urban environment than a packed campus yeah like absolutely like you see those squirrels and i and i think about like squirrels i see in the wild versus squirrels i see at, at the university and i'm like wow the squirrels at the university they they like 
they will wait a while before they run away from you. Oh, the schools at the university will jump out of a garbage can and try and take your wallet. Like they, they will mug you. No, (laughs) 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 but they, they are quite bold and you can, um, I can get way closer to an urban squirrel. Not that I would recommend it. I have been bitten. I got my tetanus shot. I'm all good. Um, but you, you can get way closer to an urban squirrel than you could ever get to a natural squirrel. Half the time, I don't even see the natural squirrels until they're in the trap. Oh, wow. That's a good point. Yeah, they're probably like a lot better at scurrying and hiding and camouflaging oh, to some degree. Yeah. Those, <laughs> the, where the black squirrels that are like around campus, it's like you could see them and they they run a havoc. I honestly sometimes wonder if they're paying tuition because they're so <laughs> like prominent on campus. Yeah, the golf campus so, is home to uh, quite a few quite a few gray squirrels right okay so and then the gray squirrel do you happen to know like how far out in canada can we go until we stop seeing the gray squirrel mm, I... because i just moved to this area relatively and i have never seen black squirrels before that's too that's new to me um so the gray squirrel species come like the name comes from um more kind of south in their their north american range um, and what they're finding is that there is a higher frequency of the, the gray color um, than there is of the black or the melanistic color. Um, and there, there's something weird going on. There's actually researchers looking at this, but Southern Ontario has an oddly high concentration of the melanistic um, or the black squirrels. Um, so there are people researching it. And what one researcher found, I think he was featured on CBC, I wish I could remember his name, um, but what he found was that um, the squirrels within the Guelph area specifically um, have a higher rate of just different colors. So we're having black squirrels that are really, really black, um, and then we're having black squirrels that are kind of brown, and then we're having gray squirrels that are sandy and gray squirrels that are really gray, whereas in other areas you're seeing just gray squirrel, gray squirrel, they all look the same. Um, but there is, there is something going on with the color alleles in Southern Ontario, where we have a higher frequency of the black ones. And then specifically in the Guelph area, they're seeing more variations of the black. So it's not just that midnight dark color, it's kind of a, a brown color. Um, I've come across a few that had like blonde bellies. It, it's They're quite strange, but I, I don't actually know where the, the their range kind of cuts off in terms of habitat. Um, but I know kind of the further south you go, the more um you see the gray ones as the kind of dominant color oh that's super interesting so guelph has like a little niche pocket of colorful yeah (laughs) well that'll that'll put us on the map all right so you you love squirrels would i would i be like outraged to say that you're nuts for squirrels oh if i had a nickel for every time (laughs) <laughs> I, I know, and it was so bad, but it was so easy, Alana. Sorry, you can't, you can't pass up that opportunity. You have to say I it. I couldn't, <laughs> and I don't even feel good about it. That's the thing. Like, I said it, and I... I use it myself. I always say, you don't have to be nuts to study squirrels, but it, it helps. But it, but it helps. All right. So you, uh, you love or are nuts about squirrels so much so that your work doesn't stop in the lab. No. So I'm also running a citizen science initiative um, right now called CitySci. Uh, we have a website called CitySci.org. And what we're doing is we are enlisting the help of our citizens in our own research. 
Um, so previously, CitySci was used to track kind of the movements of our tagged squirrels. So where are they, what they're doing, um, and squirrels with diseases. So if you saw on the, the odd chance that someone saw like a rabbit squirrel or maybe a squirrel missing some fur or with an infection, um, people were submitting those sightings and those observations on our website. But in terms of with what's going on with my master's project, I've linked it to our citizen science project. And what we're looking at is squirrel diets. Um, so a part of my research is also the brain development of squirrels. Um, and it's a brain um, it's a brain development that's closely linked to their ability to hide food and find it later, which is known as caching. Um, so in terms of my caching side of research, I'm asking that people submit sightings of what we're calling snack sightings, um, so squirrels eating. And what we're looking at is we're looking at the differences in the diets between our urban squirrels and our natural squirrels. So are our urban squirrels caching food? Are they hiding nuts? Or are they relying on human provided food? So are they more frequently eating out of the garbage, out of bird feeders? Um, if you've been on campus, I'm sure you have seen the odd squirrel hop out of a garbage can with a slice of pizza, like a wrapper. <laughs> so CitySci is kind of a passion project of mine. Um, I do really enjoy kind of interacting and talking with citizens about my work. Um, when I'm out in the field, I often have people come up to me and ask me what I'm doing. So I was more than happy to kind of take over this project and link it to my stuff. So when people do approach me in the field, I can say, go look at my website. If you wanna be a scientist too, if you're at home and it's COVID and you're bored and looking at your bird feeder, you can submit observations on my website. Okay, so, so this is citizen science in a nutshell. We are asking people to help us do this kind of work. So if, if you saw a squirrel and, and specifically you're looking for snack sightings in this case? Yes, yeah. I'm looking for squirrels eating or even hiding food. Okay, so if I, if I see another pizza rat, but squirrel version <laughs> come out of the garbage can, I want to go to this website and I want to make sure to be able to submit my findings. And this helps you. So could you explain why this helps you? So we are looking at the main physiological differences um, between our urban and our non-urban squirrels. And it also helps with our uh, habitat profiles. So if we are seeing differences in their physiology, we want to know why. We don't want to just know that there are differences. We want to know why. So in terms of their caching behavior and the neurological function that is paired with that, if I'm finding a difference in that um, neurological development, I want to know why. I don't want to just know that there's a difference. <laughs> if we're having squirrels that are caching less, it means that that neurological function might not even be useful to urban squirrels anymore. Um, so if they are relying on human food and we are seeing a higher frequency of squirrels in urban areas eating human food rather than eating natural food, that might be able to explain the physiological differences we are seeing in their neurological development. So then this is kind of a broad question. I'm not sure if you have any answer to this one, but do you know if the reduction in human traffic on campus because of COVID has changed anything with these squirrels? So my research started last January, which was about two months before mm -hmm. COVID hit. So any results that I'm going to get, we don't really have much to compare it to except other stress levels. Um, but in terms of the neurological development that I'm looking at, we have no comparison of COVID and non-COVID. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't change too much because I, I wouldn't like to say like, oh, our urban squirrels are doing this and it's only because. 
of COVID. Um, but a lot of people have speculated that without the amount of garbage that the students produce, the squirrels might have to have shifted their diet to something else if they were relying on human food mainly before. Yeah, that that's a fascinating kind of strange avenue that is kind of unfolding. Yeah, out of and us. The, the funny thing is, is we're starting to think that my natural squirrels might be exposed to more humans because everyone's at home. People are, are going for walks, um, going for hikes. Oh. So we're thinking, oh, maybe there's going to be a shift in human activity and where where it's focusing on. Yeah, there have been like a, a, I've seen some numbers on it. There have been like a ridiculous increase in nature-based leisure activities um, in these areas, which I guess is great for the parks and everything as far as, you know, getting traffic in there. But that is an interesting thought. How is it affecting the wildlife? Yeah, and that's the beauty of a long-term study. So when I'm done my master's work here, hopefully there's someone who's also nuts about about squirrels um, and continues my work and does kind of a similar project in non-COVID conditions to see, is there a difference? Oh yeah, that's, so that's fascinating. So so could you briefly touch on this idea of a long-term project? You uh, are not just this one person doing this one squirrel thing. There is a team of people and this expands multiple years. Do you have any idea of some of the other projects that are happening simultaneously? Yep. So right now our lab is quite small. We are growing though. Um, so right now the gray squirrel project has kind of been like a successional project, whereas we don't have a lot of people doing simultaneous. Um, so the student before me, we all kind of focus on the same common theme of um, human modified landscapes. So we're, we've all kind of looked at urban versus natural squirrels. We've all looked at their stress, but we've all kind of had like a, an extra special tidbit that we were also looking at to kind of build our knowledge on these systems. Um, so the student before me looked at stress between urban and natural habitats, but she also looked at the changes in behavior between our urban and our natural squirrels. Um, and she was a student that looked at how bold are these squirrels when they're um, confronted with something new, when they're confronted with a stress? Um, do they react kind of aggressively? Do they react passively? Do they run away? Um, and then she paired that with the stress study as well. Um, and the student before her uh, looked at the stress levels um, and microbiome, so kind of what microorganisms are living in the gut and the mouths of the squirrels, um, as well as the stress comparison uh, he looked at that, and I want to say he looked at one more thing that I am neglecting to remember, but <laughs> it is a long-term study. So, um, And what he found with the microbiomes is that there is a difference um, between the microbiomes of the urban squirrels and the natural squirrels. Um, and we tried to link it to stress because stress can impact your microbiome. But again, the microbiome is so big and affected. It's affected by so many things. It's affected by diet. Um, it's affected by the individuals around you. Um, it can be affected by your parents. So it, it's quite hard to pinpoint that, but it, it was super cool to see that there are actual kind of like tangible differences in the microbiome between them. Um, and that's the beauty of the long-term study. We're all kind of sticking around the same theme, but we're all adding on to it. So it's not just the same project over and over again. Um, it's growing. And we're hoping to get the study system up to a level where we do have students simultaneously studying different things, but right now we we are we are quite small, <laughs> so we're doing this successional. And um, 
the person who does the project is always known as like the squirrel person of Guelph. <laughs> yeah. So you're right now you you are getting the squirrel woman of right Guelph. Right now title. I am yeah, I'm the squirrel girl as people call me. <laughs> the squirrel, that's adorable. <laughs> yeah, so that that's my title right now and I'm hoping to be able to pass on my knowledge to whatever student comes after me um to keep this going so it can be maybe, you know, in 30 years we'll have answers to some of the things that we're seeing right now. All right, so then a, a couple quick rapid-fire squirrel-based questions right. <laughs> for you. Um, all right, so what is a squirrel's favorite food? Ooh, oh, I guess it really depends on the squirrels. Um, what I use in my traps to bait them is um, slow-roasted peanuts. They slow. They don't like the. They fast don't like the fast roast, um, and they like unsalted. <laughs> they're you know they're watching their sodium. Um, of course, high blood pressure is an issue. Super smelly. Um, and anything that like smells a lot, the squirrels would be attracted to. Um, one funny quirk that we found with the urban squirrels is that if they're having a day where they're not really attracted to the peanuts, um, they love animal crackers. They love oh, oh, animal crackers cute. and um, vanilla. They love the smell of vanilla. <laughs> Whereas mm. the natural squirrels don't know too much about sweets. Um, the urban squirrels are big fans of animal crackers. So I, I'll say either peanuts or animal crackers are their favorite food. That That is like kind of the cutest thing ever. And it kind of like- It's hurts. really cute, <laughs> but it's a little disturbing like when I you guess. see them eat them head first. And you're like, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, I imagine it would be. Gosh, it's, it's a cannibalism to some degree. It's terrifying. Oh it's okay when we do it, but <laughs> I don't know about how one squirrels do it. Hmm. All right. So then uh, what is your favorite colored squirrel? Which ones do you find cutest? Um, I like the gray squirrels with the white bellies. There's something that they just, they're so cute. <laughs> hmm. All right, then squirrel or mouse? In a fight? <laughs> well, uh, well, yes. Now I want to know in a fight, but I was going to ask preference, but I want to know fight. That's the answer I want to know. <laughs> Um, in terms of preference, I, I, I'm absolutely biased towards squirrels. And in terms of a fight, I've met some pretty scrappy squirrels. Um, so I, I would put my money on the squirrel. And I, I think like, uh, I would much rather see a squirrel. Like if I see a mouse, it's like, uh, but if I see a squirrel, it's cute. <laughs> and I think a lot of people probably have a, a similar reaction to squirrels. Okay. And then final question. Well, I guess this is more in a series of questions, but we're not supposed to domesticate squirrels, right? That's like a no-no. Absolutely not. It is illegal in Ontario to have a pet oh. squirrel. Yes. Um, I know there are quite a few people that have like raised baby squirrels that they have found. But really the best thing for the needs of the squirrel is if you do find a, a baby um, abandoned by the mom or anything like that, or an injured squirrel, it, it's best to just give them to kind of wildlife rehabs. They know what they need. They know how to take care of them. Um, and they are most likely able to get them rehabilitated and back out into the wild. Whereas when people raise the squirrels, they do get a little dependent on people. Um, and we don't want that. And honestly, after spending enough time with squirrels, they do not make nice house guests. I assume they chew everything, no. bouncing off the walls. Just <laughs> not, not, a good, not a good person to have over. All right, so you're better off with one of those little yappy dogs that, you know, barks at everything. Easy, yeah. <laughs>
All right. Well, then that's a deal. Those are all the squirrel questions I have. Uh, could you do us a favor and just kind of give us like a, a wraparound, a moral of the story? Why should we care that you are running around, crawling on the floor and feeding squirrels animal crackers? <laughs> uh, so my research is, um, for the most part, I talk about the the physiology aspect of it. So looking at the stress how are people impacting stress um, and how they're impacting the survival of these squirrels. But this project is kind of a part of a bigger picture um, where it's a form of conservation physiology. So using physiology as a means to make um, conservation policies to help with urban development. Because um, for a lot of the practices that we use, it's kind of like a one size fits all model. So we're going to make this policy and it's going to work for raccoons, it's going to work for squirrels, it's going to work for possums. Um, but by using kind of that physiology, you get a more specific look at what's happening and what these animals need to truly survive and thrive. Um, rather than having those one size fits all, we're able to make more accurate and meaningful conservation strategies to really make sure that we're taking care of the wildlife that we share our cities with. Oh, well, that is super interesting. So we, we have to figure out what the squirrels need in order <laughs> to find the best way to sue for the squirrels. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for talking with us today. I think if I see a squirrel eating something, I'm going to go log on to that website, which we will have information in the archives on how to find it. And I will uh, let you know what the squirrels are snacking on. Yeah, awesome. I look forward to it. And I look forward to seeing everyone's snack sightings. Um, if you do see a really cool or strange snack sighting, um, you can also take a photo and submit it to us on our Twitter page by using hashtag city size squirrels and we will feature you on our page. We have one up right now of a squirrel oh, eating, I think a burger wrapper. So, oh my God. I'm looking. I'm, I'm going to spend so much time. On <laughs> I'm, this. I'm looking for the weird ones to beat now. <laughs> All right. Okay. The hunt is out, everyone. Get your cameras ready. Get some squirrels and uh, let's see what they're having for lunch. After listening to our episode with Alana about squirrels, can you say that you're officially nuts? I don't even feel good about that joke anymore. That's really disappointing. I, can, I know I can do better. After listening to today's episode with Alana, would you say that you are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed about squirrels now? Well, keep your eyes open for squirrels sightings. And if you want to participate in Alana's citizen science project, you can log on to citysci.org. That is C-I-T-I-S-C-I dot org. Where you can check out CitySci on Twitter, Instagram, and many other social media platforms. And since you just finished listening to an episode of We Know Some Stuff, it is that part of the episode where we have to admit that we don't know all the stuff, which is why every episode ends with a little fact check just to make sure that we can tie up all those loose ends and maybe correct a thing or two that we said that wasn't 100% correct. Earlier in the episode, we talked about a cortisol spike, which is how they measured the stress level of the squirrels. Turns out that there was a 2019 study by the Newman Lab that found that urban squirrels averaged a greater cortisol response or production to stress over the rural squirrels. Now this can be interpreted as more responsive or active stress response. So the statement that the urban squirrels respond better is still valid in the sense that they are better prepared for it, but the spike in stress from non-urban squirrels is not. 
And as for a second fact check, if you were writing your letters to the Guelph City Council and Ontario government and provincial authorities, trying to claim Guelph a squirrel sanctuary due to our high variation of black squirrels, you are valid in that point. But southern Ontario in general has an unusually high variation of these squirrels of color. Although I have been asked to make it very clear that Alana still believes that Guelph squirrels are extra special. And can you blame her? And that concludes our fact check for this episode. On a side note, it's important to note that, you know, sometimes scientists, we get a little tongue-tied too. Which is why in this next clip, you're going to hear a little exchange between Alana and I when her mic cut out during the middle of the interview and I needed her to repeat a phrase. Uh, could you do me a real quick favor and just repeat the phrase, Johnston Green is a very good green space? Um, your mic just did a little funny thing. <laughs> okay. So I just want to be able to have that. Johnston Green. Did I actually say that? Johnston Green is a very good green space? You did, but you can rephrase it however you want. I just Oh my need... god, 16 years of schooling and that's what I said. <laughs> that's the best you could do. I, I I loved it. I thought it was great. I mean, it's colorful. It's got everything you need to know about it in there. It's a great green uh, space. So there you have it. As the winter grounds start to thaw, you can too visit the great green space of Johnson Green. And thank you for listening to another episode of We Know Some Stuff.